Today we're going to finish up the Turning the Table series. If you want to turn with me there to Genesis chapter 42, we are calling it Turning the Tables because Satan has his hands in this world. The Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air, and it does so not just as a cute nickname, but because God really does give him a measure of reign and rule as human beings reject God and turn away from him. It brings evil into this world. It makes Satan a bit of a ruler. And Satan has plans for our life to destroy us, to separate us from God and from others. And we experience things in this world that are truly against God's will. They make God grieve. And yet God allows that. God allows it. And he's so good... He's so good that he plans to take what Satan means to come against you and destroy you and instead turn the tables on him and use that exact thing to discipline you, to bring you closer to the Lord, to save you, to teach you dependence on him so that you can grow in your relationship with him. What Satan means to destroy you, God is going to use to save you. And we've been reading through the book of Genesis, the story of Joseph, looking at how this is true and how this plays out in the life of Joseph. And then we're thinking about what we're suffering, what we're going through right now, the things that are against God's will that we're experiencing, asking ourselves to be patient, to be faithful, and to be watching for how God plans to use that for His glory and for our relationship with Him. So we're going to begin in 42 in just a moment. As we're, as we're turning there, let's uh, recap the story of Joseph. Joseph is the favorite of his father, and his brothers hate him for that. And they also hate him because God has blessed Joseph with leadership, and they don't want to follow him, and so they reject him. They sell him into slavery. They mean to destroy Joseph. And instead, God has got plans to use that for his glory and for the benefit of the world, for the benefit of Joseph. They try to sell him into slavery, but God's plans for Joseph don't stop once the brothers reject his leadership. Instead, God continues to use those plans for Joseph to lead. He gets sold into the most powerful nation on earth, Egypt, and he rises to power there, and he starts leading the entire nation. And Satan comes against Joseph again, and he runs into his boss's lying, gossiping wife who tries to seduce him. He is faithful to the Lord. He says, no, I'm not going to do this. She lies. She says, he's been dishonest. He's trying to seduce me. She goes to her husband. Her husband throws Joseph in prison, and he goes from slavery to the palace to prison. And as we read last week, Joseph is faithful to the Lord. When Satan comes against him, God uses the things that people meant to destroy him to instead use to bless him and others. What Joseph gets, does, he gets sent to prison, and God teaches him something there to interpret dreams, and he uses that exact thing to change the world, to bring Joseph back to leadership, and Joseph ends up leading not only this nation, but the whole surrounding areas. As he's got a plan as he interprets dreams. He sees in a, the Pharaoh sees in a dream that a famine is coming, and God has given Joseph the ability to interpret that dream and come up with a plan to save food for when that famine comes so that their nation is prepared, and then they can sell food to the other nations and grow Egypt. And so Joseph ends up being a blessing, not just to Egypt, but to the whole world. God has got a plan, and what Satan means to bring Joseph down, God has got a plan instead to use it for good. Even Joseph's worst moments. 
Joseph has been rejected by his family. Think of the pain in that. He's been lied about. All of his hard work has come undone in just one gossiping, lying person. And that hurts. That's terrible. And yet, no matter whether Joseph is in the palace or the prison, Joseph remains faithful to the Lord. He doesn't despair because he knows God is good. He knows God is in control. He knows he can trust God. And he just continues to follow the Lord. And the Lord blesses him for that faithfulness, and he rises again. Whether Joseph is in the palace or the prison, he doesn't measure God's presence by his prosperity. He measures it by the Lord's promise. All of us, as we sit there thinking about our lives and how we have suffered this, and, and we've had that, and we think, but my situation is really big. What I've suffered is really big. What's happened to me is really, really big and our faith in God wavers. The good news is we've got a God who's so big, he's so much bigger than even that genuinely difficult, awful, big situation. God is so good, he's so big that he can use even that. That's how powerful, that's how good, that's how merciful he is. And that can happen in your life. It's what God did with Joseph. And Joseph has risen back to leadership. As we read last week, Joseph gets put with back over all of the stores of, the, of abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he could cease to measure it, for it could not be measured, and he begins selling it to those other nations. The Pharaoh takes him out of prison, and he says, Is there a man like this in all of Egypt? In chapter 41, verses 42 and 43, we see Joseph rising back to blessing. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, his own ring. He put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He is back and being blessed by the Lord. He's got, he's got bling. And he made him ride in his second chariot. That's like, you know, going into the Cadillac Escalade of 3,250 years ago. He's back. Joseph went from prison, the depths of prison, to the height of success. It reminds me of like every episode that I've seen of MTV Cribs. In verse 45, he gets a fancy new name, and Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephaniah Panea, ZP. This really is like MTV Cribs. He's got a new, new stage name. But Joseph is getting blessed by the Lord. And Zephaniah... I went to seminary to learn how to pronounce this. <laughs> Joseph, with his new name, his new name means hiding discoverer. And you think, he wasn't hiding, right? He was thrown into prison. He wasn't hiding. What does that name mean? Well, it's because he looked like everyone else on the outside. But see, he was hiding. He was unlike everyone else on the inside. This is a great message for today. Joseph talks like the people of Egypt in chapter 41, verse 42. It says, Pharaoh took his signet ring, clothed... Wait, that's not the one I'm looking for. 41, um, 42. Oh, he looks like, yes. He lo we'll start with uh, another one. He looks like everyone else. He's dressed like everyone else. When he was in prison, before he got out, they had to shave him up and clean him off because he looked like all the other prisoners. Now he's back in the palace. He's in power. He looks like those who are in power. He's wearing what they do. He looks like they do. He talks like they do. Chapter 42, 43. They made him ride in his chariot. They set him over all the land of Egypt. 42, 23. 
It says he speaks like them as well. <laughs> you can get the right verse. They did not know that Joseph understood them. So his brothers are speaking in Hebrew, and they don't know that Joseph understands them because he talks in Egypt, Egyptian. And so Joseph looks like they do. He talks like they do. And 3,250 years before the Bengals came out with their 1986 hit, inviting us to do the same, he probably walked like they do as well. He talked like an Egyptian. He dressed like an Egyptian. He walked like an Egyptian. That was it. I worked hard on that joke. That was like three minutes of setting that up. <laughs> do you know how hard it is to work in the Bengals to a sermon? <laughs> but Joseph looks like they do. But he's different on the inside. He's a man of God. And we don't always have to be fighting the culture. And what Jeff said is so, so good. You know, we want to love everyone who comes in these doors. And that's not easy, right? That's not just words. You know, that's something that takes, I mean, we all want to do that, right? But that takes humility. That takes patience. Because I don't know about you, but I'm frustrated at a lot of things that are happening. I'm frustrated at a lot of the ungodliness that goes on. And especially what's going on out there right now. And we don't have to always just battle culture. We, when it's not ungodly, we can engage with them. We can embrace them. We can talk like them. We can walk like them. We can look like them. We don't always have to battle. And we gain influence. And then we can use that for the Lord. Joseph has been in prison for years. It's been 20-some years since he was sold into slavery. He's been looking like them, being like them, patient, waiting on God's plan. And now he's got an opportunity to influence his culture for Jesus Christ. And that is what we can be like as well. And we certainly don't want to follow our culture when they're ungodly, but we don't always have to battle. And Joseph, they call him hiding discoverer because he has fit right in. He's been trustworthy, dependable. They can count on him. And he's an opportunity. He glorifies the Lord. And that's what I want to be like. And we can be different. And right now, what the world needs is people who are filled with faith rather than fear. With optimism rather than looking and losing hope. We can be confident that God is bigger than what we're going through right now, as big as it is. God has got great plans Satan is doing big things, but God is so much bigger. And we can be people who even now trust in the Lord. And at the end of the chapter 41, Joseph says, he looks at what God has done for me. He says, God has caused me to forget all of my hardships. And I just thank God as I look at my life, the thing that kept me awake in 2001, the thing that I was so worried about in 2006, the suffering that I encountered in 2009, I can say that God has made me forget those, and that is the end result of all of our situations when we put our trust in the Lord, because it's only a matter of time until he turns the tables on Satan and we are delivered, and God uses what Satan meant to destroy us to instead save us and deliver us, and bless us. It's only a matter of time. And the unbelieving person looks at that, and they say, it's too much time. It's too much time. I give up. I'm not going to follow the Lord. But a believing person says, it's only a matter of time. It was a long time for Joseph. It was 22 years since he was sold into slavery. It was 13 years since he was thrown into prison. It was two extra years since the guy who got out and was supposed to help him forgot all about him, and he had to stay in for two more years. But for those who keep their faith and trust in the Lord, 
It's only a matter of time. It was only a matter of time for Joseph. It's only a matter of time for you. And I love this story. I love it. I love this story. And I aspire to be like Joseph. He's always faithful to the Lord. But the main reason why I love this story is actually not Joseph's part of the story. It's the brother's part of the story. Because the brothers, they sin, they fail. They mean to destroy Joseph. They're genuinely, we'd look at them and say, genuinely awful people. Instead of killing them, they say, Judah says, you know, how much is it in there for me if we just kill him? Let's sell him. That way we can get something for it. And yet these brothers, when they turn and follow the Lord, even them, God has got a plan to use even their sin, even their failure for his plan and their blessing. Now, that's what I can relate to. That's what I need. I look at my life and I think, I haven't sold anyone into slavery. I haven't done anything, but I, I can relate more to the brothers than to Joseph. The, Joseph's just sterling. He's perfect. The more I try to be like Joseph, the more I realize, you know, I'm more like the other guys. And I need a God who's big enough to use even my failures. As I try to parent my children and I I love this one, and I treat him a little better than I treat this one a little worse, and I'm impatient with this one. I discipline this one a little too hard, and I look at that mess, and I say, Lord, I'm going to need you to sort all this out and use this for our good. I need a God who can do that, and thank God that he's big enough to do that. As I sin against my wife, and I'm patient, and I raise my voice, and I yell, then I notice my kids doing the same thing to each other and to her. I think, I need a God who's big enough to take all of this. And use all of this. And thank God that I have him. And it's a story of the brothers that speaks to me and teaches me that this is the kind of God I have. He's so astoundingly merciful, patient, with discipline and salvation. And that's what I need. And Lord, forgive me for my sin. Lord, use even my mistakes for your glory. It's a story of the brothers that absolutely moves me. And beginning in chapter 42, verse 1, when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother. For he feared that harm might happen to him. And so here they've got a famine. We've got to have food or else we're going to starve, go down to Egypt, get the food. And we're going to begin to see how God begins to turn the tables on Satan's plan and even the brother's life. And through this story, see how God blesses them, even in their sin and failure, how God does that. And so first they go on a journey to buy grain. And... Isaac, or I should say uh, Jacob, doesn't send Benjamin. Now he's already lost Joseph, his, his, beloved, his most loved son. And he's never, we saw when, he, when that happened, when he found out he was inconsolable, 
They try to get, it's going to be okay, Dad. We're going to get through this. He was inconsolable. And when we don't trust in the Lord fully, we will be inconsolable at the big things that happen to us in our life because we won't have that type of faith to know that God can use and work in even this. And he was good in even allowing this because that's how big he is. That's how good he is. That's how big his plans are. If we don't have that type of faith, we'll be like Joseph, when we, uh, Jacob, when we run into big, bad things. We'll be inconsolable because we won't see the end result. We'll lose sight of that. And so Jacob has never healed from that. He's lost his son. He's never gotten that sort of trust in the Lord. And so his future is continued to be affected by that. He's still living in fear. I can't let Benjamin out of the house. I can't lose him too. You guys go, but you stay here. And have you been damaged by something in your past? Is it affecting your future? It's because you need to deepen your trust in the Lord. I know that sounds like a tough challenge. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what happened to me. Well, that's the message of the Lord, right? Like, you might have suffered way more. I can't understand your suffering. It's, it's worse than I've ever experienced. For sure, I get that. To say to someone that if you've been haunted by your past, you've never healed, if you're still struggling with that, it's okay, I couldn't do it either. I'd have to repent of so much doubt in the Lord. But the message of the Lord to us is that this is still a lack of trust and faith, and we need to grow in that so we can be healed and stronger for the future. And God is that good. He is that big. He deserves that much trust. And here Jacob's never healed from his past, and have you? If we don't trust the Lord with our past, we'll never go forward for our future. And God is that good. He is that big. And Jacob is going to be healed as well through what he sees God doing. It says in verse 5, Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over all the land. The guy that they sold into slavery, they rejected his leadership. He's the one leading everybody. He was the one sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces. That sounds familiar. If you go back to chapter 37, they have a dream. When he told it to his father and his brothers, they rebuked him. They says, what is this? Shall I, shall we, chapter 37, verse 10, bow ourselves to the ground before you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they didn't want to do it, but the Lord has a way of humbling us. And it's not because he doesn't like the brothers. He loves them. This whole thing is because he loves them. It's been horrible for them. They've sold their brother into slavery. They've been living this for 22 years, denying it, ignoring it, trying to live with it. I'm sure they've been tortured. And God has allowed all of this, and he's going to make it worse for them before it gets better. Not because he doesn't love them, but because he does. His brothers come, they bow themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. 
And he just repeats that because it's so shocking. After 22 years, they're here, and they don't know who he is, and he knows who they is. That's intense. He knows who they are. Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them, and he said to them, you are spies, and you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they've tried to ruin his life, and here Joseph is in this great position of power, and my, have the tables turned in his life. And Joseph's enemies prevailed over him for a moment, but just a moment. It was a long moment, but it was only a matter of time. If you've had things come against you, just know your enemies will only prevail against you in this world for just a matter of time. And who needed to hear that this morning? Who needed to hear that they need to trust the Lord with their past? I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times I sit down, I'm playing with the kids, or I'm doing something, and all of a sudden the past comes back to me, and I'm the victim again. I think, oh, man, that, remember when that one person did that thing? And, and then... But when we trust the Lord, we're not victims. We've got victory, and it's only a matter of time. Who needed to hear that this morning? That's why when Eric was up here talking about the Word, we need the Word. We need to repeat it to ourselves. We need to read it over and over and over. We need to be in church on Sundays reading it. We need to be at home throughout the week reading it because we need these messages in our life. I need this in my life. The people who wronged me, they're in my head. They live rent-free in my head, and yet I can get it out of my head and trust in the Lord because no matter what they did to me, it's never been resolved. I've never seen the resolution of that. They wronged me. I, I can't, and I can give that all to the Lord, and instead of being the victim, be confident that He's going to give me victory. And I got to read that, and I got to repeat it to myself. Last Sunday, I go home, and I, I was sharing with Franklin. Last Sunday, I go home, I preached a message. I got a compliment, so apparently, it was a pretty good message. I got home, and I preached this whole message during church about how God's going to take the worst moments of your life and turn them into something good. And, and then I get done with all that, and I go home, and I sit there, and I start thinking, and I start worrying. What if that appraisal doesn't come back for the right amount? Then, then maybe the financing will fall through, and I might have to go through this whole house search again. And what if the house are buying? What if that appraisal doesn't go through? And then, and then, oh my goodness! And I'm sitting there, and I completely, I just—it's been four weeks in this, and I go home, and I just totally lose it. And I sit there, and I think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, didn't I? Didn't I remember something about this in church? <laughs> Even if I don't get that house, who cares? You know, God has got a plan. And if I don't get that house, then I should have that house. And it's good. I can trust the Lord because he's got good on it for me. You know, when I was a, knew of being a pastor, I wanted to honor the Lord so bad with every sermon. I wrote a brand new sermon with brand new things every time. I didn't want to repeat anything because it felt like cheating. You know, I'm like, you know, I'm here to work for the Lord. I mean, I... I he gave me that message three weeks ago, and I wanted to just use that part again. And then I went for like that for like a couple years, and then I read the Psalms, and they're all repeating. And I thought, either David's lazy, and he's just using old material, or maybe we need to keep repeating these truths to ourselves over and over and over. Satan comes against us, but God's got a plan to turn the tables in our lives. Repeat it over and over and over, because some of you are going to go home today and forget that. You're going to be sitting at lunch like I was last week, and you're going to start worrying again. And forget that God is in control of everything. He's big enough to trust, and he's got good plans for us. So we need to repeat that. We need to be in the Word 
all the time. Because as soon as that pillar of fire by night disappears, and as soon as the cloud by day is gone, we say, God, where are you? we got to keep repeating the word and in the word because we suffer from devastating spiritual amnesia. And we need, <laughs> we need his truth in our life every day. And here Joseph sees his brothers. This is unbelievable. God's plan for him, his dream for him has been realized. He's watching it. They're bowing before me. He recognizes them. He knows who they are. He remembers who they are. Verse 9, Joseph remembered. He remembers what happened. And his last memory of them is not very good. And so this is an interesting reunion. Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them, and he said to them, you are spies. He calls them spies. What kind of men are they? Joseph's going to have a plan to find out. Verse 10, they said to him, No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. Look at how they describe themselves. We are honest men. Have you ever watched an American Idol? They have the good singers, but then they like to put on the worst singers too so we can all laugh at them. It's kind of mean, actually, because these people are so deceived. They get up there and they say, I sound so good. And we laugh because they're terrible. It's kind of mean. We laugh at their incredible blindness, their deception. And Joseph and his brothers are like a person who stands on the American eye. This is why I don't really believe that much in self-assessments. This is how good we are at assessing ourselves. When we take spiritual gifts tests and things like that, I like to do them in small group where people tell us our spiritual gifts because they see what our spiritual gifts are, and we don't. Satan deceives us through our pride. He deceives us. Look at the, these guys sold their brother into slavery. And you just laugh at them. Honest men, who do you think you are? And they say that to the person they sold into slavery. And I shared a few weeks ago. Because we are so deceived by Satan, it's best not to listen to people's description of themselves. I've had people in my life, a guy who everywhere he went, he started conflict, and he'd always come up to me, the pastor, because he, he, something was going on. He wanted to dig it up, stir it up. Now, pastor, I'm not here to start a conflict, but pretty soon I realized that's all you do. Now, you might not want to start conflicts. Maybe the desire of your heart is to follow the Lord, but you're struggling with that for sure because everything out of your mouth starts a conflict. I had a guy come up and say, no, I'm not trying to be pushy, Pastor, but he come up, oh, I'm, not, I'm not a pushy guy. But pretty quickly I learned everything he did was push for his own way in his own direction. Now, maybe he didn't want to, but we get so deceived by Satan. We can be so deceived by him. We can sell a man into slavery and yet still describe ourselves as an honest individual. And God's got a plan to reveal that dishonesty. They've been pushing it down for 22 years, but God's got a plan, and it's not because he hates them. It's because he loves them. God sees something in them, and it's worth digging into. God's got a plan to reveal their sin, and if you love the Lord, God's got a plan to reveal yours too. Why? Because he loves you. He wants you to grow closer to him. He's going to reveal it to restore you.
And the good news is that you don't have to be perfect. Isn't that wonderful? That's why he sent Jesus, because he knew he wouldn't be. But you do have to be repentant. Being repentant is so much easier than being perfect. But how much, how often when our sin is revealed do we sit there and deny it? No, 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 I was, I was right. Well, it was because of this thing and that. I had good reasons. What we need to do is repent and be humbled. And the brothers, we're going to see if they're going to do this as God exposes their sin. Verse 12, Joseph hears him say they're honest. He said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you've come to see. He's not having any of it. Not a spy. I don't believe you for a second. Honest men, not a chance. I know what you're like. And they said, we are, we are your servants, our 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with her father, and one is no more. They continue to defend themselves and say they're honest. No, we're not. We're honest men. We're 12 of us, and one's gone. They tell the truth, except part of the truth. Yeah, we actually sold one of them. They leave that out, because then they wouldn't be honest men. Satan's got them so deceived, and here they are trying to deceive Joseph. They've deceived themselves. They're going to try to deceive him. Verse 14, Joseph says, No, it's as I said. You're spies. By this you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your younger brother comes here. Joseph's got a plan to test them. And he tells them that. You think you're honest? I don't think so. I'm going to put you to the test. Go bring your youngest brother here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. We'll find out if there's truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. And on the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. They didn't fear God. Just, they weren't thinking about God at all. They had no thoughts about what is it going to be like to stand before God after we kill our brother. What's it like to be, stand before God after we sell him into slavery? They didn't think of that at all. They couldn't be trusted. But Joseph fears God. We can be trusted if we fear God. If we don't fear God, we cannot be trusted. The fear of God standing before the Lord will make you act differently. Joseph fears God. He acts differently. He could do to them anything he wanted to. But he says, do this and you'll be fine. And you can trust me. You're telling me how honest we are. You are. We'll find out if there's any truth in you. But you can trust me because I fear him. Do this and you'll live. If you are honest men, then let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. If you're honest men, you won't just ditch your brother for food like you ditched me for your sovereignty. Bring your youngest brother here. Bring Pop's new favorite. Bring Benjamin here. We're going we're gonna to see. Joseph's got a plan to test them, to put them into the exact same situation that they did before, to see if they're still the same people or if they've changed. He's going to see if they'll give another one of their brothers out for money, for their own benefit. Go get your new favorite, just like you sold out Dad's favorite before. How about the new one? Joseph is an incredible individual, thinking of this plan on the spot. 
And all these men had convinced themselves for years that they were honest men. But now they've had three days to sit there and think of it. Three days. And then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. I think about that. He's begging for his life, and they're so cold-hearted, they're so cruel-hearted, they didn't listen, they sell him to slavery anyway, and that's why this distress has come upon us. God brought it back up. They spent 22 years trying not to think about it, deceiving themselves, trying to live with themselves, and God brought it back. Verse 24, 22, I should say, Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. And they did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. They didn't know that he, he spoke their language. And Joseph turns away from them and weeps. He turned away and wept. And when he, he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes, he hears them talking about this. And it's just... He's been spending 22 years of his life trying to get over it. He weeps. He can't stay. i got to get out of here for a minute. Composes himself. And he comes back and he takes Simeon. And he bounds him. Binds him. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack. He's going to give them back their money. I'm going to take your brother and I'm going to give you back your money. That's what you always wanted. You gave me up for money. Are you going to give Simeon up as well? And to give them provisions for their journey, and this was done for them. And they loaded their donkeys with grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw the money in the mouth of his sack. Oh, no. How did this happen? He's going to think we stole it. He said to his brothers, my money's been put back here. It's in the mouth of my sack. And at this, their hearts failed them. Did we just rob the most powerful man in all the land? Oh, we're in it now. And they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? What is God doing? Verse 29, When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened, saying, The man of the Lord spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. And they give the whole thing to their father. They tell the whole thing to their dad. He kept Simeon. He gave us back our money. And now, Dad, we got to bring Benjamin back, or else he's going to keep Simeon. And God will test us. He will test us so that we have a chance to show we mean repentance. God is going to test you. It's not enough just to say, I repent, I'm sorry. That's actually not what it means to repent. Words don't matter so much. What matters is, did we actually do it in our heart? And the Lord will have a way of testing us to see if that really happened. They tell him, Dad, we lost a brother and we gained some money just like before. And Dad's probably a little suspicious. That's exactly what happened when Joseph left. You know, I noticed you guys had a little extra cash after that. Now I lost another son and you got a little more money. Dad's a little suspicious. And he says, bring home Benjamin. Why did you mention you had a brother? You had one job. Go and pick up grain. Why did you even talk about him? He's my favorite. So here I got a nice little graph because it's a little confusing. There's supposed to be 12 brothers. I miscounted. 
We had 12 brothers. They sold one into slavery in Egypt. Now he's the most powerful in the land. They go to that brother. They need him. They leave home. They go to Egypt, and they say, Joseph, whoever you are, we need, we need grain. They've brought their money. Joseph's got the grain. They give Joseph the money. He gives, takes the brother. He gives back the grain. And then he also gives them the money. He keeps the brother. He sends them home. And they tell their dad. They say, we need to bring the other brother. And interestingly enough, Jude is a changed man. Dad says, I'm not giving you the brother. I'm not giving you my favorite Benjamin. Chapter 43, verse 8. So Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me. We will arise. That sounds a lot different than what Judah said before. Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill us and conceal his blood? Let's sell him. We'll get some money. Now he says, send Benjamin with me. And we'll arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and our little ones. I'll be the pledge for his safety. If he doesn't come back, kill me. I promise you. I'll bring him home. And Jude is a changed individual. And as we want the Lord to work in our lives and use even our failures for his glory, what we need to be is repentant. And here Judah's starting to get that. He's starting to change. And so what they do is the brothers, they take Benji, and they take even more money. And then they go back to Egypt because they need more grain. And so they take even more money and Benjamin, and they go back with all of that. And 43, he replied, as he sees in peace to you, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your fathers has put treasure in your sacks for you. They bring back the money and new money. They say, hey, we don't know how this got here. He says, hey, it's all right. And he brought Simeon out to them. And it's going well, but Joseph's going to up the stakes. It's not just Simeon he wants to test them with. It's Benjamin he wants to test them with. And Joseph sees that the brothers are learning their lesson, and he doesn't have a plan for revenge. He's got a plan for reconciliation. If he wanted revenge, he could just stomp on them. But he's got a plan to test them. Why is that? Because what he wants is reconciliation, and they need to be changed for that reconciliation to happen, for healing to happen in their family. They have to change, and he needs to know that they've changed because he can't just be sold into slavery and have people say up and say, we're sorry. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> it's all water under the bridge. That's actually way the not, not the way life works. That's not the way God works. I've got kids, and some of them get into trouble a lot. And they've learned if they say, when I say, why did you write all over the wall with crayon again? They've learned if they say, I'm sorry. <laughs> i got this cute little girl with these big eyes, and she says, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I go, oh, it's okay. And then she turns and grabs the crayon and goes back to it. And I've had to say, sorry doesn't mean anything if it doesn't mean I won't do it again. So thank you for telling me you're sorry. But until you stop doing that, I know that you don't care. If you want to show me that you care, then you need to stop doing this. And Joseph's got a plan for reconciliation. He's willing to forgive like a Christian should be, but he's not a fool. As Christians, we can think that we don't need to have any boundaries. That's not the case. God loves you. And if you have no boundaries, you're going to be in abusive relationships. You need boundaries. 
And having boundaries doesn't mean that you're not a believer. For you to have reconciliation, you can be willing to forgive, but they've got to be willing to repent. Forgiveness without repentance is not a whole relationship. And repentance without forgiveness is just cruelty. But it's when repentance and forgiveness come together that we can receive healing in our lives. And Joseph wants healing. He's got good in mind. And so he tests him with Benjamin. And he sends him back with their money again. And he keeps Benjamin. All right, I should say he gives him back Simeon. And he gives him back Benjamin. He gives him back their money. See, I'm getting confused. That's why I got this graph. And then he sends, <laughs> sends the grain, sends their money again. And he puts his own personal cup in Benjamin's bag. And they start riding away. And they look in Benjamin's bag. He stole his cup too? Come on, guys! And they got to go back again. And Joseph's testing them. Are you going to give up Benjamin? Here, Benjamin's caused you this inconvenience. Are you just going to take the money and run? And instead they come back. And you see Judah's transformation. Chapter 44. And he searched beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's pack. And they tore their clothes and every man loaded their donkey and they returned to the city. And what are they going to do? And Judah says to them, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. The guilt of what? They didn't steal the cup. Joseph put it there and they know it. They're guilty of selling their brother, and they know it. God's found it out. He's revealed their sin. What is God doing? This hurts so bad that God admitted, we're guilty. Behold, we are your Lord's servants, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy. Judah puts himself in that place. He followed through with what he said he would do. He didn't just say he was sorry. He was willing to back it up. Sorry means nothing without willing to back it up. So that's why Jesus says to the tax collector, go and give back what you've stole. Because unresolved sin isn't good for us and it's good not for good for anybody else. Judah, God has blessed Judah so much. Because for the first time in 22 years, Judah's going to get a good night's sleep. Praise the Lord. You know, you can call it psychology, you can call it spirituality, you can call it whatever you want. But when you sin, there's this break that happens in your brain and the neurons don't fire the way they should anymore. And you got to fix that to go forward healthily. You got this dissonance, dissonance. Something happened that wasn't right. And it's good. You know, the Lord, in talking about Jacob's father, or Joseph's father, Jacob, it says, Jacob had a brother named Esau. Hebrews 12, 6 says, The Lord disciplines those he loves. The Bible says the Lord loved Jacob and hated Esau. And we think, poor Esau. God must have been really mean to that guy. He hated him. Well, what did God's hate towards Esau look like? Well, when he got back together with Jacob, he had no need of anything. He had everything. He was a wealthy individual, prospering. But what he didn't have was the Lord's presence. Because Esau didn't have a love for the Lord like Jacob. And God looked down. He didn't bother to discipline Esau. There's something else Esau didn't have, which was the Lord's discipline. Because he didn't love the Lord. So the Lord didn't bother. But if you're going through some, something terrible right now, it's probably because God loves you. 
He sees something in you. And you're worth saving. If anyone loves the Lord, then that Lord will not leave them behind. Jacob loved the Lord. And Jacob was actually wrong in that situation. He lied and deceived Esau. But the Lord loved him enough not to let it go. And he's like, I'm going to bring that back. And years later, Esau's coming and Jacob's freaking out. Oh, man, he's going to come and kill me. And I've got to repent. I've got to change. And he wrestles with the Lord. The Lord loved Jacob. And what did it look like when Jacob met Esau? How did he come to Esau? Well, he came broken, limping. Not because the Lord hated him, because the Lord loved him. If we're going through something terrible, it says God wants to do something great. And look what he, look what he's done in his family. Imagine what God can do in your family. Look how he heals this family. That's how great our God is. You'd think a family that went through this, they'd never be back together. But Joseph says to his brothers, I'm Joseph, finally reveals him. Now he's seen that they're changed. He sees he can trust them. He can let that boundary go. I'm Joseph. Is my father alive? And they have this amazing reconciliation. And Joseph says, come near. I'm your brother who he sold in his slavery. And now don't be ashamed or angry. This is forgiveness. Like if you ever get somebody who genuinely repents to you, don't blow it. Right? It's so rare. Don't blow it. I'm sorry. Well, if you wouldn't have done that, that's how we respond to people who are repentant. Don't blow it. It's so precious. Joseph shows grace. He says, don't be distressed or angry for yourselves because he sold me for God sent me here before you to preserve life. God sent me here. Joseph trusts the Lord. He knows it was God. He knows that the plans of Satan can't stop him because they can't stop God. He knows he's not a victim. He knows he's got victory in the Lord. For the famine has been in in these years, and God had a plan to save us all. And God sent me before you to preserve all this life. And when we follow God, he will use even our failures to bring good in our lives. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time to come before you. And as we look at our lives and we've experienced big suffering or big difficulty, we can feel like you're God, that you're not with us. Lord, I pray that you bless us with your Holy Spirit and faith to see that you've allowed us to go through things because you're disciplining us, you're developing us because you're that good, that you've got a plan to take whatever Satan can throw at your people. You've got a plan to take whatever evil he can bring into our lives and show how great you are, that you're greater than him in every Every way that you're more powerful in everything that he can do for your glory, for our good, and for our celebration when you come and finally remove and destroy evil once and for all, turning the tables on him just like that. You're going to throw those tables down. Yeah. And save us all. And legitimately, what a party that will be. God, I pray you bless us as we sit there and we struggle with our faith and wonder where you are. God, bless us with that reminder that you're so big. You can be trusted with even this. And when we suffer, it's not because you've abandoned us, but because you've got good plans. Good plans that include us as victors through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in your name.